This is ContraZoom, a live in limbo production. This is ContraZoom. Where we go back and forth about film. I'm Dakota Arsenault. And I am Andreas Fabulakis. Now, originally, you know, we've had a bit of a layoff from doing episodes. Originally, our next episode is going to be a continuation of our top Oscar films, best pictures. But we kind of felt it was prudent to do an episode uh, about the recently departed Gene Wilder, mostly because... At least I can't speak on behalf of you, Andreas, but for me, he was someone as a comedic actor that I certainly idolized and really enjoyed his performances. Uh, I'm sure you you felt similar as well. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think I could list anybody who hated Gene Wilder. I mean, some people would be bigger fans than others, like you yourself are a big fan. And he certainly had a cult following, especially with his Mel Brooks productions, but um I don't know, like Robin Williams, I can't think of a single person who was just like, oh, Gene Wilder is overrated, because you have the people who grew up with him, with, you know, his Willy Wonka performance, and then those of us who were older who needed, you know, great comedic relief, and how many times did he service with that? So, I mean, everybody, as far as I'm concerned, is a fan. Yeah, so later on, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some of his specific performances and his legacy. But, uh, you know, it's sad. He was 83 years old. Um, He passed away from Alzheimer's. Uh, Sort of interesting about him was um, after his then-wife, Gilda Radner, died in 1989, he pretty much, you know, kind of retired completely. He he did a he had a short-lived TV show. He appeared in a, a couple TV movies, a couple episodes of Will and Grace, but like it's extremely sparse his credits since 1989. He had since remarried, and you know, had a wonderful life afterwards, but. There obviously was something about the passing of Gilda Radner that caused him to retire, and I don't know if we'll ever truly know the story. Yeah, and, you know, that wasn't the only reason why he kind of ducked out of public eye, and unfortunately, his recent passing shed some more light as to why he just vanished completely from the public eye again. Um, And it's sad, because with every little role that he had, he put as much of himself into it as possible. And he always thought outside of the box, like the typical thing is in Willy Wonka. He didn't tell anybody he was going to walk with the cane and just stop sporadically and then start to do a somersault. He wanted to catch everybody off guard and be untrustworthy. And that was him. But it wasn't just his roles that he, you know, brought this kind of outside of the box attention with. It was also just him as a celebrity. And unfortunately, as we've learned, uh, the past decade or so, he's stayed out of the public eye because he knew he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. According to his nephew, that was around maybe like 10 or so years ago. And he didn't want, you know, people who grew up with Willy Wonka to know that Willy Wonka was dying or anybody who was fond of, you know, Dr. Frankenstein or anything to know that their beloved characters that he brought to the world, you know, was coming to an end. So, I don't know. It's it's really bittersweet to know that he did that. Yeah, it's it's sort of interesting because he'd been out of the public eye for so long uh, and hadn't really appeared in anything, nothing big since the 80s. I think 
a lot of people kind of forgot about him. Uh, you know, the, even the, us hardcore cinephiles, you know, will always think of him when we're, we're listing some of our favorite comedy movies, but like he's not at the forefront of, you know, our daily conversations about film and film legacies, which is kind of a bit shocking. He's, he's someone that has managed to completely disappear from the public discourse. And then when he died, uh, a lot of the reaction was just like, wow, like it's kind of a shock, but at the same time, you know, he kind of, in my memory died quite a while ago when he completely left our memories yeah some people actually didn't even know he was still alive to be honest which you know a lot of people who jump out of the fame and the spotlight like that yeah it's sadly if the media is not tracking with paparazzi if you're not doing interviews then we don't know what's happened to you right Mm -hmm. um but you know we uh we do want to celebrate the the life and talent of of mr gene wilder uh you know for me Growing up, it's impossible not to watch Willy Wonka, The Chocolate Factory, the the adaptation of the Roald Dahl movie. It's kind of a kid staple where it's it really kind of challenges you as a child because it's not a straightforward family film. It's also not a straightforward comedy. It's very much in the vein of something like The Wizard of Oz where, you know, you have this fairly light and breezy movie and then when you get to The Flying Monkeys, you just realize how insane of a movie it actually is. And I think um, Willy Wonka is sort of the same way, especially when you get to like the the LSD tunnel of nightmares. But there's a few other moments that kind of really put you off kilter i think that will go down in memory as being uh the big gene wilder role the one that he will most be known for uh and and i think that's definitely one that everyone should see if they have not and i know when i have kids i'll be showing it to them too when they are of course old enough (laughs) no you don't want to see the lsd as you said the, the tunnel sequence where you see chickens heads being cut off and stuff i don't really know how that flew but uh it did somehow um nonetheless I don't know about you, but when I was younger, I swore for the life of me, like when I was a kid, that the movie was actually called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, because that's what all of us kids in my year would call it. And and that's not to say that, you know, Charlie Bucket isn't an important character or anything. It is pretty much about him. But when you think of Willy Wonka, you think of, you know, all the other things as well. But you think of him mostly when it comes to the film. You think of him and his antics, his his sifting between singing melodically and cheerfully and then just going to like a possessed screaming state. I don't know. At the flick of a switch, that guy could just convincingly emote anything. And it was really bizarre, especially in a, in a comedy kind of sense, not even just Charlie and the chocolate factory, but anything that he did, you know, he could just bring that to life. And no wonder why he had such fame after this film, because I mean, as you said, this is probably his most defining film. Not to say that that's the the only great thing he's ever done, because let's be honest here, he had a lot of a lot of accreditations underneath his belt for sure. I think the interesting thing that you were just sort of talking about is Gene Wilder, the actor, wasn't can't really be pigeonholed into a style of comedy. You know, you talk about Willy Wonka. There's quite a bit of uh, pathos there, but there's also uh, a bit of uneasiness about his character that you don't know if he's all there. You know, in one scene, he's happy-go-lucky, and the next, he's screaming and terrifying. And then there's always a bit of underlying sarcasm to his performance. And that completely differs from 
his other roles, you know, in Young Frankenstein, he was a sort of uh, know-it-all who seemingly didn't know it all, but had this very sort of lighthearted tone. And then, you know, in, in The Producers, he's this really nebish, anxiety-ridden character who, you know, if you do something the wrong way, he's going to go into a full-blown panic attack and blazing saddles. He's this very cool and suave former gunslinger who just sort of lost his touch, but they're all very, very different performances. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought up young Frankenstein. Um, Oh, obviously it's one of his most iconic roles. And I believe there was uh, not too long ago, there was some list of the best performances of all time. I don't remember which publication did it, but um, Peter O'Toole for one to Arabia is number one, but in the top 10, you know, amongst Maul and Brando and, you know, Meryl Streep was Gene Wilder for Young Frankenstein. And, you know, I actually hadn't seen it until this publication came out. So I went to go watch it. And, you know, what you said is absolutely true. Even though the film might be labeled as such a thing, his performance was always so textured because as funny as he was in Young Frankenstein, he was damn well convincing in in a near dramatic way with just him being, you know, this scientist that didn't want to be related to, you know, his grandfather and you know he wanted to separate himself from you know biological composition and he wanted to focus on the neurological studies and you know he actually felt pain there and he actually felt like a severity which is very weird for a comedy film am i right yeah and really the best comedies are the ones where the people inside the movie don't know it's a comedy yes exactly um and it's this kind of also, you know, segues into a bit about Mel Brooks as a filmmaker, the trio of films that they did together. Mel Brooks is, is a seriously underrated filmmaker, fantastic writer. You know, he gets his due for his, for his jokes, for his setups, his punchlines, his scripts, but his actual deafness behind a ca- the camera. Young Frankenstein is a gorgeously shot film that perfectly parodies, you know, not only other Frankenstein movies, but the monster movie as a genre in its entirety and a lot of that really hinges on gene wilder having to do a very convincing performance and what is essentially really the heavy lifting of the film yeah mo brooks as you said is severely underrated i think he's a more recent version of like you know like a charlie chaplin kind of person where people remember them for their comedy but you know, the fact that he pro- helped produce Elephant Man and said, no, I don't want my name on this because I don't want people getting the wrong idea. You know, if you watched it not knowing that, would you ever think that he had anything to do with that? Not really. And, you know, the fact that young Frankenstein plays on the older Frankenstein films, especially Bride of Frankenstein, you know, the scene where, you know, the, the monster visits the blind man. Um, you know, a lot of it was lifted from those old films. But to be able to be on par with the old monster classics of the 30s i mean you've got to know what you're doing and of course mal brooks as we know he's one of the few egot winners there are in the world which egot stands for emmy grammy oscar and tony winner so yeah he obviously knows what he's doing if he's one of the few people to have achieved that and i think you know last my last thought on young frankenstein is uh is Gene Wilder probably gave us one of the all-time funniest scenes in cinema history where uh, him and uh, Peter Boyle perform putting on the Ritz. And, and that's just sort of like two minutes. You don't even have to know what is happening in the movie. Two minutes of just pure insanity where you can't help but like cry from laughter. 
Yeah, actually, one of my all-time funniest scenes comes from this film as well, also from Gene Wilder, of course. And it's a previous scene when the Peter Boyle creature character is first coming to life, and he starts choking Gene Wilder, which there's a little bit of a shtick where he's playing um, charades to get other people to know what he's trying to say. And he's trying to tell them to, you know, put a sedative into the creature to get him to stop. And... um, and Igor says, oh, oh, Sedegiv, of course. And then, you know, he's like, he's being choked, like, on the verge of dying. Eventually, they give him a sedative, and he just screams, Sedegiv? <laughs> like, it's just one of the funniest <laughs> deliveries I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of my, my other favorites is The Producers. That was probably the first Mel Brooks movie I had ever seen. I, I saw that at a very young age, and shocking rewatching it, how much went over my head of, of the adult content of that movie. Um, but that performance of, of of uh leo bloom and um zero mostel playing max bialystok the two of them together were were you know comedy gold so much so that uh i went to an arts high school in one of my years in drama class i got a chance to direct a scene from that and i was just so excited that i got to sort of recreate in my own head uh these two parts you know very much influenced by gene wilder uh that character the actor who actually played that is now a very successful theater actor, a guy named Paulo Santalucia, who works in Soul Pepper. So it's it's very is it's a very personal movie for me, and one that I still go back to, and uh, and just the whole like springtime for Hitler bit, like still <laughs> you, you know the idea of it being a, a flop because it's so bad in a musical, but the idea of actually putting it in a movie, considering the movie came out. I think 20 years after World War II ended or so. Yeah. That's just balls. Like the fact that Mel Brooks did it and, you know, uh, Gene Wilder and Zero Mostel did it together and put this on the screen is just like, it's crazy in my mind still to think about that. I think it's genius in another sense as well, because I think of this almost as like the comedic eight and a half where, you know, everybody involved didn't know what to do, but they knew they wanted to do something, which eight and a half was Fellini's take on a director having writer's block. So he made a film that's quite imaginative about a director with writer's block and his struggles. So the producers is kind of the same thing where it's like, we don't know what to do, but why don't we make something about producers who don't know what to do? So they try to flop and see what happens. And it's it's interesting because it's a it's a comedic take on the industry and the higher ups, you know, basically taking the piss out of them. But you know, somebody like Gene Wilder and as you said, um, Zero Mostel, like it's they're they're not villainous and they're not just shallow. Like you do feel for them, and you know, it's almost like a Laurel and Hardy kind of thing, but way more manic and egocentric. I would say. Um, just a lot of thought, again, put behind both performances, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, this was an interesting one, because I believe it was Mel Brooks' first film that he uh, directed, and Zero Mostel was blacklisted at the time and trying to work his way back into Hollywood, and no one would touch him. And so he was able to get this, you know, very good jewish actor to work for you know scale rate that in his past was quite a big deal especially in the theater world and this up-and-coming kid gene wilder the two of them together 
they just put in such performance where, you know, one scene can go from zero to 100 and 100 to zero back and forth the whole time. And by the end of it, you're like, your heart is just beating so much because you can't even keep up with them because there's so much intensity going on. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I, this is a phrase, this is a phrase I'm going to be re- revisiting often is you're laughing so hard. You feel like you're about to cry or you're in tears. Just some of the moments are just so ridiculous. Yeah, the producers is probably probably my favorite thing that Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder did together, or just flat out my favorite Mel Brooks thing in in general. But um, I think you'd agree with this: Blazing Saddles is probably the edgiest thing, especially for its time. The Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder, I would argue, both touched upon, and I mean. Uh, where does one start with that? <laughs> what do you think? Well, like the movie itself is is pure uh, insanity, where it's layering so much parody one on top of another that sometimes it's kind of hard to tell uh, where the movie might be going off the rails a little bit before you know the big sight gags or whatever kind of end up coming down and everything gets back on track whether it's the the campfire farting scene or the whole town being made out of cardboard or different other ridiculous sort of things um where this is much more of a ensemble type film where gene wilder plays a bit more of a uh supporting role but his him playing uh was it the the waco kid um certainly grounds the film in a bit more reality where everyone else is sort of on a different planet. Which is weird because in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, it's him that's on another planet. Like it's, it's weird how he can be the anchor or be, you know, the, the eccentric one of the film and Blazing Saddles actually came out the same year as Young Frankenstein. And it's interesting because they both take on, old genres i know westerns have had a bit of a revitalization but at the time you know like you had like spaghetti westerns kind of starting and like especially to make their big break over in in the west no pun intended but um the classic western with like john wayne and whatever the really racially profiled kind of westerns were essentially dying out but then you have something like blazing saddles to remind us just how ridiculous they they were and I don't know. I think it's a terrific film. What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's it's very on the nose with how it dealt with racism as far as both black people and natives are concerned. And it really kind of gives you uncomfortable laughter and and Wilder's performance befriending. uh, I can't even remember. the name of uh the actor uh, bart who he plays cleavon little playing bart um Mm -hmm. the two of them have some really good chemistry together where they kind of keep things going smoothly and and i don't know it's there's so much going on in this where it's you know it's hard to even talk about with with mel Brooks brooks playing two different parts being absolutely ridiculous and and madeline Kahn uh being you know an underrated mvp for everything that she does in the mel brooks world and harvey corman and it's just so absolutely ridiculous everything that's going on where you know it's it's really a politically incorrect movie that gets you know, the, the politics of how we should be treating each other very right. You know, the humor, the humor makes you laugh at things you shouldn't be laughing at. Um, 
but kind of points you in the right direction of what we should be doing as a society. And I, and I really think Gene Wilder being the straight man in this certainly helped. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know, just, I think just Gene Wilder could basically pull it all, especially in, um, in Mel Brooks films, but it's just my personal favorite thing that he's ever done and it's weird because it's a very small thing that he's done. In fact, it was the first, the first huge thing he's ever even been a part of was his very minor role in Bonnie and Clyde, actually. Um, the Arthur Penn B movie that turned into an Oscar nominated film miraculously, um, also was the start, starting point of Gene Hackman, whose character, along with, I believe it was his wife or something in the film, gets hijacked by, um, Bonnie Clyde and the gang and, instead of it being like this chaotic situation they're and they're being friendly with one another. And it's weird because as we've discussed, Gene Wilder can flick the switch on how he's expressing his emotions immediately. So he goes from being petrified to sheepishly talking to everybody. And then suddenly everybody's having a blast and, you know, they've forgotten that, you know, they've been hijacked. It's like, Oh yeah, uh, let's, let's talk about everything until the point where he brings up that he had to do, um, I think he was an undertaker or something. It upsets, you know, Bonnie. She throws him out of the car and it ends up being a turning point that she wants to go see her mother. But it's weird that, you know, even before he was known as anything, June Wilder was a comedic relief of this film, which was one of the edgiest films of its time. You know, it was the first film to have a shot on camera, actually have blood effects going off. The ending is extremely gruesome, especially for its time. But then, the Gene Wilder moment is actually seen as one of the greatest and iconic, even though it lasts what, like maybe five to 10 minutes, not even. Yeah. It's a, it's very short scene. It's been, it's been quite a while since I've seen it. So I can't particularly remember it. I vaguely remember it, but, uh, but you're the expert about this right now. (laughs) Well, uh, I'm guessing they saw something in that performance because shortly afterwards was, you know, the producers, um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. And then, of course, you have all sorts of other films that he was a part of with other great directors, including, and I, I regrettably have not actually seen this, Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex but We're Afraid to Ask, which is um, a Woody Allen film. I mean, Woody Allen and Gene Wilder probably makes for a terrific pairing as well. And sadly, I've yet to see that. Have you seen that at no, all? Or? I haven't seen that one either. Um, the only one that I can, I can sort of talk about is Stir Crazy, a movie that he did with... Um, with Richard Pryor, uh, where they, uh, where they play, I think like escaped criminals or something like that, or, or mistaken criminals, things like that. Um, where I really, they're, they're like framed. I think, I think, I think they were like framed for a bank robbery. I saw it on AMC years ago. Um, when I was trying to get into Richard Pryor stuff and it's, it's a pretty funny movie. I unfortunately just don't remember it all that well, other than that I enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately that's a pairing. I've never seen anything of, you know, the Richard Pryor and, uh, Gene Wilder pairing, which apparently there's quite a few things that they did together, you know, see no evil, hear no evil, another you stir crazy, as you said, silver streak. And I haven't, I've regrettably not seen any of these. So I guess that's some more homework for me to do, especially in, in memoriam of a terrific comedic actor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, sometimes you feel that, uh, 
some of the best performances are given by comedic actors doing dramatic roles. You know, we've got time over time, whether it's something like Adam Sandler and Punch Drunk Love or uh, some other, just using that as an example or other things like that. I think Gene Wilder sort of brings the reverse where he's a really good dramatic actor giving some of the best comedic performances ever. Yeah, I actually agree 100% with that. Um, Steve Carell, who's starting to dabble in a lot of dramatic roles now, basically said, you know, there's no difference when I'm acting in a comedy film or a drama film. I'm just I'm using the same methods for this for different characters. And I think Gene Wilder was certainly the epitome of that back during his era. And in fact, one of the greatest of all time, I would argue, you know, he's up there with Cary Grant, you know, some of those other greats, which could flip from, you know, screwball comedies and, you know, just frantic antics you know, into a more serious kind of dread. But Gene Wilder brought that all into one film, no matter what the genre was, you know. So that, I mean, there's a reason why Dr. Frankenstein was was mentioned on the top performances of all time. And uh, need I say more? Yeah. Um, do you have any final thoughts on what his legacy might be? Again, just... It's very admirable, albeit bittersweet, that you know he was considerate of of his fan base, and he disappeared from the public eye instead of making like a big stink about it. And from you know the the interviews that people gave, you know, like the person that played Charlie Bucket, um, a lot of people that worked with him, Mel Brooks, uh, again, his nephew came out with stuff, and all the little stories that people said while he was having Alzheimer's and suffering from that, you know, he would still show a little bit of Gene Wilder charm by just, you know, smiling and laughing, telling a joke here and there. And it's just, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's beautiful to know that he just never fully disappeared. He might've disappeared from the public eye to protect us from, you know, seeing a beloved Hollywood icon suffering, but you know, he never truly disappeared. And I think that's in a strange way, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting that every time the Johnny Depp, Tim Burton film, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory gets brought up, it always has to be with the cavet. Well, it's no Willy Wonka and the Charlie Factor, Chocolate Factory. Gene Wilder is the real Willy Wonka where, you know, we can't, you can't even get into one, one sentence about that movie without <laughs> that caveat being thrown in, which I think speaks to the enduring quality of it. Uh, and hopefully that's a movie that sort of lives for generations on as more and more young people discover it especially as they you know are are trying to get past the age of where you only watch the most g-rated family-friendly movies and kind of watch something a little bit more challenging uh i i think it's a great movie for for young people to see and then of course for Anyone that's either a fan of comedy or horror needs to see Young Frankenstein. I think the two of those are, are a good one-two punch that I think will will hopefully never be forgotten in the film lexicon, uh, mainly because of his performances in those movies. I agree 100%. And, you know, just to backtrack a little bit, when it comes to Johnny Depp and, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, you lose. Good day, sir. Anyways, um, I guess on a final note, uh, from my end of things, anyways, uh, there's a reason why his song is iconic in in, in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because Gene Wilder simply is just pure imagination, and and simply that. I couldn't have said any better. Uh, so 
rest in peace, Gene Wilder. You'll be missed, especially by us over here at ContraZoom. Uh, and I know there's been plenty of, of great obituaries already written about you. So uh, I'm sure I'll probably uh, link to some in the show notes that you can check out as well. Um, Make sure you follow on Twitter, Live in Limbo. Uh, check out liveinlimbo.com for all the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter at DGAPA and yourself, Andreas. You can find me on Twitter at Andreas Babs. And please shoot some of your favorite Jim Wilder moments. I'd love to know what they are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and we will be back with more regular programming in the coming weeks. Thank you so much for listening. If you're blue and you don't know where to go to, why don't you go where fashion sits? Different types who wear a day coat, pants with stripes, or cutaway coat, perfect fits.